our series through the book of Ephesians. And we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away, all false, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've ever seen any of the Spider-Man movies or read the comics, you probably know of the origin story of how Peter Parker became Spider-Man. Peter Parker was a poor, sickly teenager who one day was bitten by a radioactive spider. As a result of this bite, he gained superhuman strength, speed, agility, along with the ability to climb walls and has turned him into the Spider-Man. Now, Peter Parker looked the same after this bite, but he's no longer the same. He's something new altogether, a new creature, the Spider-Man. He can now climb walls, he can shoot webs out of his wrist. And being the Spider-Man means that there's new things about him. There's these changes that have come about from being this new creature. Now every Christian who has a true saving faith in Jesus Christ is a new creation. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, working faith in you, thereby uniting you to Christ, you will physically look the same. But you are created anew in your spiritual union with the crucified, risen, and exalted Christ. You're a new creation. You're not the same as you were. And throughout the first half of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul listed the benefits that come from the spiritual union. He was telling us what it means to be in Christ individually and collectively. And then in the second half of the book, which we started to look at last week, he begins to tell us what it means to live in Christ. What does it mean as the church that we are spiritually united to Christ? And what does this demand of us? Last week, opening this section, Paul was challenging and admonishing the Ephesian church and really all of us to live out our calling in Christ, to seek unity in the church, to use your gifts to build up the body so that you and the rest of your brothers and sisters can grow in spiritual maturity, grow to be more like Christ. And in our passage this week, he continues the admonishment of the Ephesians and really telling all of us to live out the new life in Christ, to put off the old self, put on the new self. And in doing this, he gives three areas in your life to live out your new life in Christ. In your anger, in your speech, and in your treatment of others. Paul begins this passage in verse 17 saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. So Paul, again, is using this language of walk, which is an analogy he often uses for the way you're living your life. He spoke of this in chapter 2, verse 1, where he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Then at the end of that section, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, that is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. So everyone once walked in sin and trespasses, living their life completely in sin, but those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are a new creation and therefore should be walking in the good works God has prepared before us. That means living your life in obedience to the command of God, in submission to the will of God. And now in the second half of chapter 4, he's coming back to this idea. In chapter 2, he was talking about salvation as an act of God, that you were saved by grace through faith, that you were once dead in your sins, living your life in sin, but God stepped in and brought you to new spiritual life. Now he's talking about that walk. He's talking about how to live out your new life in Christ and what it should look like. How do you live as someone who is united to Christ, as someone who is a new creation in Christ. There are things you should not do anymore, things you once did, maybe even frequently, without restraint. But there's also things you should do, behaviors that are worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
Paul begins by speaking about the way of the life of the Gentiles, which literally means non-Jews. But what he means, the way of the life of those who are outside of the people of God. Because now that Gentiles can become part of the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he's referring to Gentiles who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are ignorant of God and the scriptures, who don't know of the promises of God, who don't know of the fulfillment of those promises in Christ, who don't know of the death and resurrection of Jesus and everything that means. And they live their lives accordingly. He's saying, don't live like that anymore. Starting in verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul's saying that the Ephesian believers should no longer live as they once did, no longer live as the people around them, darkened in their understanding, alienated from a life of glorifying God and ignorant of what that even means of their hardness of heart. And you can see pretty easily how this applies to our context. We live in a society that knows less and less about the Bible and God. We're surrounded by people who are increasingly darkened in their understanding, alienated from a life of glorifying God, ignorant of what that even means because of their hardness of heart. And every one of us to some degree, has lived like the people around us, more than living the way God wants us to. Paul is saying that living in a manner worthy of your calling means you will make an effort to stop doing these things. He says, starting in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so what we're seeing here is that we have a role to play in our own sanctification. Sanctification is, pro is the process of being renewed in your whole self into the image of God. It's the process of everything about you becoming more like Christ. And being enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. And this is only possible. Sanctification is only possible because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Working in you in your union with Christ. You can never completely do this on your own power. But you do have something to do. You're not completely passive in this process either. You have an old self to put off. You have behaviors to stop doing. And you have a new self to put on. You have behaviors you need to be doing instead. If you're a Christian, that is, you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he died for your sins and rose from the dead in victory, and you believe it, then you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former matter of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Then in verse 23, Paul says you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is the work of God's free grace. This isn't something you do on your own, but you have a role to play. You can't sit around doing nothing, and God will do all the work. Paul wouldn't need to write this if that were the case. But God's work for your sanctification comes by his spirit, his word, and his church. You're sanctified through learning the scriptures more and more. And the spirit illuminates the scriptures to you. The spirit makes the word of God clear to you. And he gives you the knowledge and understanding that these are the very words of God. And the spirit will also convict you when you're not living according to the word of God. But the flesh is deceitful. Sometimes we're all blinded by sin. It's easy to overlook the places where you're not living up to God's standard because none of us are. It's a process. But because each of us, you and I, are all prone to point out the sins of others before dealing with our own sins. The initial reaction of many people when hearing, reading the word of God, and especially a convicting passage, is to think of all the other people you know that need to hear this. And so God has also given us the church. The church has a role to play in the sanctification of its members. I mentioned this last week, that the spiritual maturity of each member of the church is the responsibility of the church. And so that means the sanctification, the growth into the image of Christ of each and every member is a responsibility of us all. So then in the next paragraph, after telling us to put off the old self and put on the new self, Paul explains some specific areas this sanctifying work can be done. It says, beginning in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so the first area of your life will focus on to live out your new life in Christ, to put off the old self and put on your new self is in your anger. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. And so clearly this is saying that not all anger is sin, but you can easily sin in anger. Anger will cause you to act sinfully. And the more you are consumed by your anger, the more you will sin because of it. And I've mentioned this before, but some of the most damaging and harmful things I've done have been in anger. Most of the times I've harmed someone in my life because I was angry and speaking at the same time. The ESV translation is pretty accurate and literal be angry and do not sin. But I think the NIV translation is helpful here. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So putting off the old self is putting off the habit of sinning when you're angry. One strategy I've tried with some success is not to react when I'm angry. To allow myself some time to cool down and then think about the situation when I'm calm. And usually I can see, once I've calmed down, that I was overreacting. If I had acted and spoken that moment when I was angry, I would have done something damaging or said something harmful. I'm usually glad that I didn't. Paul's point here is that when anger is present, you have the potential 
to sin. When you're angry, you notice this happening, tread lightly. Because anger is an emotion that can quickly become sinful. Paul doesn't just say, don't sin when you're angry, though. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He means not staying angry and allowing it to get worse. The longer you are angry, it never gets better. It usually doesn't even stay the same. It increases, it festers. And this is unwise because you're giving the devil an opportunity. If anger can quickly become sinful, then allowing it to remain in your heart is an opportunity for Satan to convince you to sin. So living out your new life Christ means not reacting however you feel in your moment of anger. Being aware that you are likely to sin and therefore not reacting in that moment. Taking time to pray about it. To calm your heart. Not allowing anger to remain in your heart and, and turn into sinful thoughts and actions. It may not even be what you say when you're angry. It could be how you treat someone. Giving them the cold shoulder. The silent treatment. It means speaking to someone or treating someone in an unloving, unchristian way because you're angry. And Paul brings this up for a reason, because this is true of everyone. You and I need to heed this warning. When you're angry, you're prone to sin. So be aware, because the devil is waiting to pounce on you in your anger, especially when you allow anger to remain. Paul then continues these ethical instructions on how to live out your new life in Christ. He says in verse 26, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In ancient times, theft was a huge problem. But theft continues today. And I think we need to be aware of the flesh, and the subtle things it can do, not only considering stealing that would be a much bigger deal, like robbery than retail theft, but little things, pirated videos, music, uh, supplies you brought home from work. So you should consider the things in your life where you may be doing this. Consider where can you put off the old self, put away sin in your life. But Paul also gives a positive so putting on of the new self. He says, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So living out your new life in Christ, not stealing, doing honest work so that you can earn and share with anyone in need. And this is the key, sharing with anyone in need. Whatever you have, being willing to share is a part of your new life in Christ. But that really isn't one of the main points I want to focus on this morning. The second area in your life we'll focus on to live out your new life in Christ is in your speech. Paul first refers to speech back in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Because you are to put off the old self and put on the new self, Therefore, he's saying, put away falsehoods. Stop lying. Now, instead, each one of you 
should speak the truth with his neighbor. Now when he says neighbor here, he's actually quoting from Zechariah chapter 8. And in the context, he's talking about neighbor in the covenant community. And so while lying obviously is a sin, and no matter who you're talking to, you should be putting off lying. Paul's specifically speaking about lying in the church to other Christians. As you can see, because he follows it with, for we are members one of one another. It's especially egregious when Christians are lying to one another. And there are so many ways this can happen. It could just be falsely representing yourself in some way, making yourself look better, trying to hide your sin, falsely representing the work you've done, falsely representing someone else to make them look bad, maybe because you have some motive where you simply want to make yourself feel better. And no one is above this. We all need to examine our hearts and our lives, asking God to reveal to us where there's any deception, because the flesh is deceitful. But Paul, again, brings up speech. Now, he doesn't only speak about truthfulness. In verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul first here obeys corrupting talk. The word translated as corrupting literally means rotten, rancid, or diseased. It's the same word Jesus used when he was describing the type of tree that bears bad fruit. He said the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Paul's talking about diseased speech, speech that corrupts the body of Christ. It's speech that tears down the body instead of building it up. We see this in the alternative that he offers. He says the talk that should come out of your mouth is only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion. And you can have corrupting disease speech in many ways. It could be profanity or, or speaking in a crude way. It could be gossip or ill talk of, of another Christian. It could be speaking in your anger in, in an ill-tempered and harmful way. It's any speech that tears down the body it could be harming your own image and therefore harming the image of Christ or it could be harming the unity of the church and therefore the unity of the body of Christ. And it's not trivial. God cares about how we speak. But we were going through the book of James in the evening service and he writes much about the power of the tongue and how destructive it can be. And so you should strive to speak only in ways that build up the body, that edify and enrich your brothers and sisters in the church that would lead to the good of the church speak in ways that are loving of those around you. As Paul says, that it may give grace to those who hear. But Paul then writes in verse 30, the result of this corrupting talk. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the spirit of redemption. While speech that builds up the body gives grace to the hearer. Corrupting talk that disgraces or tears down the body grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul says of the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this corrupting talk not only tears down the body, it also grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who brought the redemption of Christ and applied it to you. The Holy Spirit who is delivered you 
from the wrath of God on the day of judgment. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your future inheritance in Christ. As a new creation in Christ, living a new life in Christ, put on your new self in your speech. Your speech should be truthful, putting away falsehood and deception. Your speech should be building up the body, giving grace to those who hear it, putting away corruption, corrupting speech that shames or harms the body. But then Paul concludes his ethical instructions here on how to live out your new life in Christ with a final set of admonitions. In verses 31 and 32 he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So here Paul again begins with the putting off of the old self. He tells us, every one of us, to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, along with all malice. Paul speaking about how we think and act towards others, or how we treat others. And this is the third area in your life to live out your new life in Christ, your treatment of others. The list of thoughts and actions that Paul gives for Christians is quite shocking to think that he has to tell Christians to be this way. But he does. It doesn't take being involved in the church too long to see these types of behaviors and attitudes. For my first few years in the church, I avoided this, but once I got more involved, I started to see it. When I first began working in ministry, I started as an intern for a course in seminary. And there was a conflict that caused an elder in the church to full-blown rage at me. And all of the things listed here were present in this one situation. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. It was hideous. And then the seminary intern class used to meet to discuss the details of our internship. And when I described what I thought to be an unbelievable situation that this was happening in the church, the professor, who was a pastor for 30 years, smiled and said, welcome to ministry. <laughs> Paul is saying, put these things off. They should not be happening in the church. This shouldn't be coming from a Christian. The person who treated me this way did so, and then went right about singing hymns, praising God, taking communion like nothing was wrong. And so if these attitudes do happen, obviously this was an extreme example, but they can happen in small ways. And they do. We're all sinners. There needs to be some repentance, sorrow for mistreating people, for harboring bitterness and anger in your heart, for your wrath and malice towards others, for slandering them. Living your new life in Christ means you will make an effort not to do these things. But you will admit that you're wrong, repent, and apologize when you do. Then Paul tells us how to put on the new self here in our treatment of others. In very simple terms in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In contrast to being bitter, wrathful, anger, acting with malice, Living out your new life in Christ means being kind to one another, being tender-hearted or compassionate, forgiving one another. And these are three simple commands. 
but they're not always easy. Now it's easy to be kind and compassionate to someone else who's being kind and compassionate, but not always so much when the other person is frustrated, belligerent, angry, malicious. When someone has genuinely wronged you or hurt you, how do you respond? Is it with kindness, compassion, forgiveness? Forgiveness isn't optional in the Christian life. It's commanded. It's one of the marks of the Christian. Again, it's simple. You know what it means to forgive. You know you're supposed to forgive, but it's not always easy. But you are to forgive as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. Because it's through the Spirit of God that you can forgive beyond what humans typically do. Christians have the capacity. You and I have the capacity to forgive and to love beyond reason. Because we have the Spirit of the living God dwelling inside us. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you can forgive someone even if they seriously have wronged you or harmed you. But you need to want to forgive them first. And then you can ask God for the strength to do so. And once you recognize how serious not forgiving someone is, then you can have this desire and you can pray that God will make it happen. That God will soften your heart and you can forgive. It may take time. You may not be able to immediately do this, but living out your new life in Christ means knowing that you can't harbor ill will towards someone forever. You need to move towards forgiveness can do so as God forgave you in Christ. It's easier to forgive knowing how much you've been forgiven. You've sinned against God repeatedly, egregiously. You've turned from him from the moment you were born. And you only turn back to him because he sent his spirit to give you new spiritual life. Words cannot express how indebted to God we all are. Because it took the brutal suffering, death of Jesus on a cross for your sins to be forgiven. And it's in this context you are to forgive. You are to forgive greatly as one who has been forgiven greatly. It's knowing that Jesus died by crucifixion for your sins that you can be willing to humble yourself and forgive those who have hurt you. And because Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death, he ascended into heaven, God sent his spirit to those who believe. And it's through his spirit that we have this renewed life in Christ. It's through the grace of God by his spirit working in you that you can have this new life in your anger. That you can be angry but not sin. That you can calm down and see that you maybe have overreacted and not allowing anger to remain in your heart. It's through the Spirit of God working in you that you can have new life in your speech, speaking truth instead of falsehood, building up the body of Christ, being kind and gentle with edifying speech instead of tearing down and snapping at people and corrupting speech. And it's through the Spirit of God working in you that you can have new life in your treatment of others, putting away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, instead being kind, compassionate, and forgiving. 
Because as every person in this church continues to put off the old self and put on the new self in each of these areas, the church will grow as a whole and more and more into the image of Christ. And as we do, our witness in the world will be stronger. You can show that the gospel is true by living out a life that has been changed by the Spirit. You can show that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the gospel is real by being a unified church that loves one another and forgives one another in a way that is supernatural. And you can do so because God loved you first and forgave you first in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that it's only in your love and your Son that you have called us to yourself. We know that you have forgiven us through the death of your Son on a cross, and that you have called us to a new life in your Spirit. Give us the strength, Lord, to continue to put off the old self. That when we are angry, we will put our pride aside, we will humble ourselves and we will remain calm and not sin. That in our speech we will be loving and caring and gentle. We will speak grace and life into those who hear us instead of tearing down with bitterness and snapping back in anger. Lord, give us the strength to be kind in difficult situations, to be compassionate to those even who have wronged us, and to forgive all as you have forgiven us in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray.